You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Mighty Father, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. During my first uh, year at the Advent, in the summer of 2006, I shared my testimony or my spiritual narrative in the Dean's class. And a central part of my story involved sharing about my struggles with depression and anxiety when I was an inner city school teacher in Charlotte, North Carolina. About nine weeks into the job, I started having trouble sleeping. I had racing thoughts, and I had this panicky knot in my chest. So these struggles ultimately led to me resigning from the job, taking medication, and going to counseling. Now, simultaneously, it was the moment when I came to understand the full gospel of grace for me as a Christian. It was the time when I learned that I was loved apart from my performance through the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, as I told the testimony that morning, I was very honest about my struggles with mental illness. On the next week, a person contacted me uh, about what I had shared. They meant well and they were nice. They told me it was not wise or appropriate for me as an officer of the church to talk about medication, counseling, or depression. They said, look, I'm fine with it. But there are going to be people out there who think that we have a crazy person running the youth ministry down at the Advent. This this person advised me to take the path of silence. Their unsolicited advice contrasted starkly with what my pastor in Charlotte, Mark Upton, had told me to do. Uh, Soon after I was struggling and I was about to resign, I had to go to homecoming at my alma mater, Wake Forest. So I asked my pastor what should I tell people? They said, you should be honest. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. Your whole life, you've tried to project this image of perfection. It's going to be really good for you to be openly imperfect. So Mark advised me to take the path of honesty. Now, Psalm 32 opens with the phrase, blessed is the man. When we see this sentence, we know that the Lord is informing us about the life of blessedness, of joy and gladness found in the Lord. Interesting feature that we see in the path of, about the path of blessedness is that the path of honesty is the avenue into the blessed life. And we see that the path of grace is the pathway to honesty. Grace begets honesty, and honesty leads to blessedness. Today, in pursuit of the blessed life of joy and life in Christ, I want to walk down these three paths. First, the path of blessedness. Second, the path of honesty. And third, the path of grace. What Psalm 32 reveals and what Christianity echoes over and over again is that the blessed life is found in a life of honesty and vulnerability before the Lord God. So first, the path of blessedness. Now, as I already mentioned in Psalm 32, it opens with a familiar phrase. This is a literary form we call a beatitude. It opens with, blessed is the man. In both the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus delivers the beatitudes, 
which talk about the blessed life found in Christ and in the kingdom of God. The blessed life is characterized by a life where God is in control. The Lord leads and the Lord directs. Look at the characteristics of the blessed life found in verses 8 through 11. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So in the blessed life, God is guiding and directing the believer. Verse 9, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bite and bridle, with pit and brittle, bridle, or, or it will not stay near you. So in the blessed life, we are repenting from resisting the lordship of God. Verse 10, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The blessings of God come to us as we trust in him. And finally, in verse 11, we can see the fruit of the blessed life. There is abundant joy and gladness. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There is great joy, joy to the point of rejoicing and shouting with gladness. Now, our, our inclination as sinners is to think, okay, the blessed life, I get my act together, I clean myself up, I perform, I execute, and I get in line with God. But what we actually see in Psalm 32 is quite different. The route to the blessed life comes more naturally through honesty before the Lord by verbalizing how big a mess we are as sinners and how deep our struggles are in life. And so that leads us to our second point, the path of honesty. The key phrase of Psalm 32 is found in verse 3. When I kept silent. When I kept silent. The speaker David primarily refers to silence about sin. He has withheld his sin. He has tried to manage it. He has tried to hide it from God as if that were possible. Too often the way that we hide or are silent about our sin is rationalizing it or by pretending that it doesn't exist. Now while the destructive silence in Psalm 32 primarily focuses on our own sin, there's also a destructive silence that we can have that relates to the way that we are victims of the sin of the world. Your struggle with finances or with mental illness or marital problems or unemployment, a traumatic or abusive background, a burden that you're carrying for other people, whether it's confessing our sin to the Lord or lamenting the ways that we are victims of the fall, silence kills our soul. Look at the language of misery that David uses in, in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is a, mi a misery deep in our personhood, and it persists day and night, and it drains our, industry, our, our, our strength we ordinarily want to stay silent. That is part of being a sinner. It's part of how we want to try to control and manage our own sin. It's part of how we are trying to be our own savior and our own healer. But some of our silence and our propensity towards that is cultural. In the American South, we do not like to air our dirty laundry outside the house. There is a pressure to suppress problems and failures there's a pressure to keep on the happy face, even in times of grief and sorrow. Uh, and there is a pressure to sweep things under the rug. After 
17 years of pastoral ministry, I can tell you some of the saddest things I see is when a family or a person, they're in a crisis, and they expend more energy trying to keep their crisis a secret than they do trying to address the crisis itself. Culturally, we gravitate towards silence. We strongly dislike vulnerability and honesty before God and others. And it makes us misery, miserable. It ties us in knots. And it feels like the opposite of the blessed life. You probably know the misery of holding in a secret or a sense of guilt and shame. You can't sleep. You carry around a backpack of lead. And you have a ball of anxiety inside. But God will not leave us in silence. David writes in verse 4, Your hand was heavy upon me day and night. Out of, lo- out of love, the Lord turns the screw. He allows our misery to amplify and to the point that we allow him to lead us out of darkness and into his healing light. The move from misery to relief comes in verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There is such a sense of relief and restoration, so much so that David addresses the audience, and he encourages people to seek the Lord in prayer while he may be found. Verse 7, he refers to the Lord as a hiding place, as the one who preserves him in times of trouble and preserves him with shouts of deliverance. Our souls wither. When we languish in silence, but our souls come alive when we are honest about our sin and our struggle before a gracious God. So what is it that enables us to live with this ruthless honesty that brings us into the blessed life? That takes us to our third point, the path of grace. Psalm 32 starts with the promise of the gospel. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. These verses capture the nature of justification. And in fact, in Romans 4, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the foundations of the Christian gospel, justification by grace through faith, he cites these verses from Psalm 32 to illustrate what justification looks like. Justification has two parts. First, our sin is forgiven. Our slate is wiped clean. And second, we are credited with the righteousness of Christ. These are, justification, however, is not the entirety of God's generosity to us in Christ. Notice in the next verse, it says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Our justification brings us into a state of favor and grace before God. It means that God is not counting anything against you. He's not mad at you. He's not keeping a record of your wrongs. He's not keeping score. God always greets you with grace and mercy and forgiveness when you come to him with your sin and your shame and your struggle. He has already judged Jesus on the cross. He is not out to judge you. I have a friend named Philip, and Philip knows everyone's dirty secrets. Since the fifth grade, Philip was the person you would go to when you had a shameful secret that you had to tell. And that is because there was no chance that you would ever be judged by Philip. 
He's one of the most safe and accepting people that I have ever met. And you probably have a friend or a family member who functions in this way for you. Grace begets honesty. And honesty enables us to live lives of ruthless honesty before the Lord. A life of honesty before God spills over into our relationships with other people. And that life of honesty is the bedrock of the blessed life that David describes in Psalm 32. It draws us closer to the Lord, and it draws us closer to other people. This ruthless honesty in the context of gracious, accepting relationships is the key ingredient to life-giving Christian community. Going back to the initial advice that I received from my pastor in Charlotte in 2002, I went back to Wake Forest Homecoming, and I decided to be honest. I really would have preferred to have gone to Homecoming and to say that I was saving the world as an inner-city school teacher. But instead, I told people that I had started going to counseling. I was on medication. I was struggling with clinical depression, and I was about to resign from a job that I was failing in miserably. Just the thing you want to tell people at your first homecoming after graduation. But an amazing thing happened in my life over the next few months as I continued to be honest. Christian friends started coming out of the woodwork and sharing with me their struggles with mental illness. My friend Sarah told me about panic attacks she had had and about going to a counselor before whom she would cry for the entire hour. An old coach of mine told me about moving home because of struggles with clinical depression at the age of 25. He said that antidepressant medication had changed his life. An older friend, uh, the family named Fred, had me over for lemonade and cookies. And he was a nuclear physicist. He told me about the semester where he didn't leave his room in college because he had such crippling anxiety. My friend Beth told me about the ups and downs and the roller coaster and the cycles of clinical depression. The message of grace enabled me to be honest, but I received and experienced the grace of Jesus through the honesty of other people around me. This honesty not only brings us into the blessed life of the Lord, it also enables us to extend the grace of Jesus Christ to other people. I would encourage us all to abandon the path of silence. Take the path of honesty, but remember, But the path of honesty has been paved by the blood of Christ, whose grace and forgiveness enables us to come out of the darkness of silence and to live in the healing light of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty Christ, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.